The following podcast contains cutesy clowns, hammers, and alpha monsters. Basically, all the good stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. Alright, All right, so I guess now we can actually start the real... Um, a real-to-real podcast for real once. Real. Oh, is there a real-to-real podcast anywhere? Let's be is there like first. A, a real-to-real tape-by-tape podcast somewhere where mm. someone goes through every real-to-real tape ever released? Ooh. And today on the real-to-real podcast, we're going to be talking about the real-to-real version of the Doobie Brothers Greatest Hits. And with me always is Seanathan. Hello, this is Seanathan. And with me always is G the Jim. G the Jim. Why, thank you for joining us on the Real to Real podcast. And have you been doing anything real to real lately? Not really. All righty then. Yeah, we're just kidding you. This is the Pie Factory podcast, in case yeah, you don't know. That's, that's right, episode 82. 82. So... How are you, Sean? Ow, ow. How are you, Sean? Sounded like you were. Oh, man. Ah, well, I'm dealing with what might be a herniated disc and the side effects thereof. Uh, How are you? Uh, Well, I am not uh, dealing with a herniated disc uh, issue. The day before we recorded this, I turned 50. Lucky me. Ooh. And I still got a ways to go. Yeah bastard hey you uh, could have stayed in your mother's womb for another six years like i did yeah good point but um yeah for my birthday i uh, went out and rode my bicycle for 81 miles over the course of seven and a half hours up and down the Lord. fox river trail which is absolutely gorgeous and one of these days i want to get a group of people riding that thing it is an um, it is an amazing trail i really like it it's one of my favorite places to ride but uh, i would love to do that sometime. Just well, as soon as you get over your situation, we will do it. This, this, again, though, every time I talk about it, I always have to mention the section between St. Charles and South Elgin, Illinois. There's several places that are closed uh, due to either bridge washouts or, oops, we built a bike trail on land we thought we owned but actually didn't. And then, of course, there's uh, some of the nastiest nastiest hills in this part of Illinois and uh that's a I fun saw section. the picture that you took of the hill. Was it in Aurora? St. Charles. St. Charles. Okay. And dude, that is flat compared to your typical San Francisco hill. Come on, man. You have to view it in person. That picture didn't do it justice. The first part is not, well, it's, it's still pretty bad, but the second block is worse. And trust me on this, if you... It, let's put it this way. If you're from this area, it might as well be San Francisco. So Okay, but I'm from this area. and Put a, put a picture of San Francisco next to a picture of that, and there's a huge difference. Yeah, well, you go to San Francisco almost every year. I haven't been there since I was like 10. So, 40 years. Yep. Wow. I'm getting old. So, have you been playing any games? Besides the ones we've been preparing for this morning's episode... No, not really. The The only thing is I did recently acquire a trackball, an Atari CX-22 trackball oh? that uh, I was hoping to use to play with, say, the uh, hack of Centipede for the 7800 done by the late Ken Siders mm-hmm. in which you could use an Atari trackball with it. And it actually has 
trackball compatible motion and everything, but the fire buttons don't work in the thing. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking of ordering uh, the replacement parts from uh, Best Electronics because they have uh, those kind of fire buttons. So uh, that that's really the extent of my game playing since our previous episode. I've I've just... The game that I've been playing mostly is trying to get up from my chair at the office or from the toilet without screaming in pain. Oh, not good. So far, I'm getting a little bit better at it. Uh-huh. So, we'll see. Yeah, I, after having ridden all those miles on my bicycle, I was having a lot of t- trouble standing between between my knees and my Cramping, getting cramps in my legs. Although that was, I think I only got one now that I think about it. But uh. excuse me, as far as games or something go, again, I've been mostly playing on my eight bit. There's this interesting game that I found, and I was searching for the name of it, and I finally remembered what it, what it was. It was called Pondering About Maxes, and it looks like a platforming type game. And I'm curious as how to play it, but there's I, there's this like springboard in the in the one level, the very first level. I cannot figure out how to use it. I jump on it, and you only jump up just a little bit, and then you fall off of it. Mm. I, I just can't figure anything out about this game, but it's it's annoying me enough to keep, keep me going back to see if there's something I missed somewhere. So I don't know. Uh-huh. But um, and I think my, there's something wrong with my 7800, unfortunately. Oh. Um, I was playing a rousing game of uh, 2600 Casino on it, and... The uh, as, people that have that game know that it's got like this nice dual shade green background, and it went from green to like a muted brown, and then black and white, and then the game just started resetting randomly. Hmm. And I'm like hoping um, that uh, it's nothing to do with uh, my attempted modding of the console. I need to test it some more to see if it's just the 2600 portion of it. I think I might have a short somewhere. Ugh. Either that or it could be a power cord thing. When did you re- when did you uh, most recently mod your 7800? That was way earlier in the year. Yeah. Um, and uh, do you still use that weird hack of a power supply? No, I haven't used that oh. in a long time. Uh, last year, uh, Bobby Adad Moore, thank you, Bobby, oh, uh, sent, right. me, uh, sent me a replacement uh, genuine... Replacement genuine 7800 part, um, the uh, 7800 power supply for it, and I've been using that. Mm. No, I got rid of that hack job because you know, I've been using it for a long time, but I st- still never really felt comfortable using it because, mm. again, it was a hack job. So I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping there's nothing majorly wrong with it because I hadn't played my 7800 in a long time, and I was just kind of wanting to play something, you know, because at Midwest Gaming Classic. I don't think I've turned it... No, I've turned it on a few times, but I got a few games at Midwest Gaming Classic. I wanted to try them out, and I played them, but uh, once I popped Casino in there, then it started going all wacky, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't the just the Casino cartridge. Did you try anything else in it? Well, I, I played Robotron on the 7800. Wait, and, hold it, hold it. Oh, boy. This week in yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh... So I, I was playing that, and then uh, Puyan and uh, Kung Fu Master. And Kung Fu, I, I got to say, Kung Fu Master, which actually is a game that we need to add to the spreadsheet for the twenty six hundred, is actually a really good rendition of the game. It looks really close to the arcade game, and um, it's really amazing what uh, Activision did with that. In fact, I am adding it, and there it is. You know what? I should add Double Dragon to the list as well. Oh, yay! Yeah, I know you're happy about that one. Actually, we could probably theme those two together. 
Uh, we can talk about that at a later time. So, yeah, that's pretty much what I've been doing. been uh, playing some other games uh, on my XE, and I'm really, really, really liking Zone Ranger. That's an Activision game that was, uh, I think, only for computers and the Atari 5200. I don't think it came out on any other... Well, I, I don't think it came out on the 2600, 7800, or Intellivision or ColecoVision. I think uh. it was just 5200, Atari 8-bit, and the Commodore 64. I think I don't I don't know off the top of my head, but that's a really fun uh, shooting 'em up game. It's uh, kind of Sinistar-ish in a way, with you know without the Sinistar. I mean, it's got the same kind of like piloting and stuff like that, but it's got a lot of other little features to it. Uh, so I was playing that quite a bit and uh, played the uh, the fifty two hundred uh, Space Invaders on it again. Uh, I think the company was called HomeSoft or or whatever ported a lot of the fifty two hundred games to the eight bits. Yeah. And um, Space Invaders on the 5200 is another instance where the uh, the 5200 version of a game was better than the 8-bit version. Huh. Uh, it, it doesn't look like the arcade game, uh, but it has a few things that were missing. First of all, it has the, uh, the, the shields that were not on the 8-bit version for some reason. 8-bit version doesn't have shields? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't have shields. And the uh, the, the one thing I really love is the uh, the invaders. They don't look like the arcade but they're such interesting shapes, and on level seven, they keep morphing into different shapes, and it's really an awesome uh, graphical effect. And I really like the uh, 5200 version of that. Supposedly, uh, the 5200 version of Space Invaders is also uh, compatible with the 5200 trackball, and I hear it works really hmm. well. And I would love to try that sometime, but I probably won't. At least not until Midwest Gaming Classic again. So. I, yeah, so that's pretty much what I've been doing. Pretty much the same old, same old. I keep thinking to myself I should get on this uh, NES Maker, which I was a, a Kickstarter backer for. Well, yeah, you yeah. gave him money. I might as well. And uh, I was also thinking about trying to... Uh, I keep getting and then losing interest in 7800 Basic, and there's just some things I want to see done on that, and I, I know if I don't do it, nobody else will, but the, it's just trying to get the motivation. Yeah, I to, started to a project in 7800 Basic, but I kind of abandoned it, not not necessarily permanently. It's just I I have so much going on in my life and so many different projects I have unfinished right now. It's like, mm. man, I don't need another one. Yeah, my problem is exactly the opposite. I'm just bored and have no motivation. Yeah. So that's something we might talk about in the next episode of the podcast. We should talk about that, though. We should talk about what we're going to do for the next episode. Yes, um, we should do that. Uh, first of all, it's gonna it might come out a little bit sooner than normal because we want to get this out uh, during the month of September, and it's already halfway through here. Uh, but for the next episode of the podcast, and uh, it's going to be a special episode, the month of September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. And interestingly, this week that we're recording, the week that my birthday happens to be in, is National Suicide Prevention Week, uh, which I find very, very interesting. So we're going to be talking about uh, depression and mental illness. We're going to have a few uh, special guests uh, have uh, graciously submitted, uh, uh, well, submissions, I guess, to be included in the episode. And so uh, we will be talking about that Um yeah, you know, I mean, I know it's depression, but uh, we'll try to have a little bit fun and a little lighthearted, little lightheartedness with it. So, I mean, yeah, heavy topic, but there's nothing saying that it has to be a somber topic. Yeah. So yeah, we're gonna be 
we're going to be doing that for the next episode. And uh, if you guys have anything you'd like to uh, submit for that, it might be a little late, but uh, you can always email us at um, piefactorypodcast or piefactory at fab4it.com. Sean made up the one email address because I kept saying it wrong here on the podcast. Yeah, and fab4it is spelled with the number four. And then with the number four on your numeric keypad, if you have a numeric keypad, and if not, then it's above the uh, E and the R on your QWERTY. Look for the uh, dollar sign. And then IT.com. Yes. Yeah. And actually, look for the dollar sign. God knows I'm looking for the dollar sign. Yeah, me too. Me too, man. So what did Santa get you for your birthday? What did Santa get me for my birthday? Yeah. Well, Santa got me a new microphone. Oh, awesome. A Blue Yeti. And actually, the Santa is all of our Patreon sponsors. And I'd like to thank you all for that because I've been needing a new microphone for quite some time because I was getting really, I've I've been pissed at my sound quality for quite some time. But uh, finally, we went ahead and uh, Sean ordered it for me. And thanks to all of our faithful patrons or Patreons or whatever you want to call yourself. Friends. Pie factoids. Um, Oh, pie factoids. There you go. So thanks to all of our pie factoids, I got a new microphone here. So and so we both use the exact same microphone. So theoretically we should sound like we're pretty much in the same room. Yeah, we should. Providing we're both recording at 44.1 is it megahertz or kilohertz? I think it's kilohertz. I don't know. So yeah, so thank you very much for that. And that's pretty much all I got for my birthday. Yeah. And so well, some cards. Oh, there you go. Yeah, and a couple of bags of peanuts, which uh one of them was uh, like spicy hot peanuts and the other one was chili lime peanuts and the chili lime peanuts which are actually downstairs and i was going to bring them up but i probably shouldn't munch on anything while i'm recording but oh god those are so good and uh there you oh, are man, you're making me hungry yes and i'm so, not a peanut person either well you know if i'm making you hungry maybe you have something you'd like to wash the food down with maybe i do thank you yes. for uh reminding me um Segway. oh yeah, that's what we in the uh, business call a Segway, S-E-G-U-E. You, you know, I did not know that that's how you spell Segway until I worked at, at a PR firm about, now, God, when that, like 17, 18 years ago, when one of my coworkers wrote Segway in his, uh, in, a, in an article he had to write for a client, he spelled it S-E-G-U-E-W-A-Y. And the client read over it and said, what's a Segway way? <laughs> because neither, and neither one of us knew that that's how that S E G U E. We thought it was just, that was just seg because mm-hmm. you know, G U E like French, you know, it's just a hard G. Hi, Facebook pie factory watchers. This is, um, tell me Sean, Sean, that's right. Actually, I might be SRAN because you called me that on Facebook recently, Jimmy G. Uh, the audience cannot hear Jimmy G right now live because, unless uh, there's some kind of a thing. But hey, uh, as you can see, I have a heating pad uh, attached to the back of my neck to help me out with uh, my possibly herniated disc uh, in addition to some physical therapy. But this is what I'm going to try this week. Pickle-flavored soda from... Lester's Fixins, Lester's Fixins. And recently the Cinema Snob reviewed that stuff. Hmm. Yeah, I still haven't watched any of those videos you told me to watch because of like because uh, I have so much time. And uh ooh, bottle cap's not coming off. I wonder if this one Oh, here it comes. Mm. All right. Plop. All right. And I'm I can't unsee that duck you pointed out 
a few episodes <laughs> ago. I was wondering about that. All right, this definitely smells like pickle. That's for dang sure. You like pickles, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, usually I like dill pickles. I like sweet pickles. There is a deli, a New York deli style place in Edison, New Jersey, right off the Garden State Parkway. I forgot the name of it, where they give you these sandwiches, typical like New York deli sandwiches, where there's like 8,000 feet of meat on it between two pieces of bread. And they actually have a pickle bar. Really? Yeah, like a salad bar, but it's all different kinds of pickles. Must go. And the only ones that I've found that I liked over there were just dill and dill and sweet. I didn't like any of the other ones, but uh, I this smells like dill pickle, so I'm guessing it's dill pickle flavored soda. So here goes. It tastes like I'm drinking dill pickle, but it's weird because. You think drinking a dill pickle, or just the the juice that makes it a dill pickle, and um, it's actually pretty good. There's a certain sweetness to it. It doesn't taste like sweet pickle at all. It tastes like dill pickle. But there's like a sweet aftertaste, kind of like the sweet aftertaste that I detected when I had the uh, sweet corn syrup. Ah. I'm surprised how enjoyable this is. Well, what's it's... um... Oh, God, what is the place? Sonic Drive-Ins. You recently had the uh, pickle-flavored the slushies. Yeah. I wanted to try and one of those. I got this. It's a strawberry lemonade from Whole Foods. You see H-O-L-E Foods, as I call it, because <laughs> I don't like that store, but my wife loves it. A Whole Foods. But uh, this was to wash this stuff down in case it was too bad, but I don't, I don't think I'll need to. Oh, I got a pickle story for you. Uh-oh. <laughs> this You're is going right into Sean's uh, personal life here. If you know what I'm saying here, a pickle story from my personal life. My dad, my dad is a simple person. He is not very deep. He's just a simple guy. He's literally meat and potatoes. But I remember sometime in the nineties, I was, I was in my early twenties. If that maybe late teens, we were having dinner one night, my mom, my dad, my brother, and me, and my dad's eating a pickle, a dill pickle. And he said, you know, there's something weird with these pickles that they don't taste right. They taste like cucumbers. <laughs> and my mother is like, um, Gary, because pickles are cucumbers, really. My dad said, oh, you know what I mean. It's like they just took some cucumbers and put them in a jar and uh, my brother almost fell out of his chair when he heard that one. It's like, oh when you said Gary just now, the first thing that came to my mind was, Gary, Carl. Exactly. <laughs> but anyway, hey, uh, Lester's fixing his pickle so- pickle flavored soda. I'm liking it. At, uh, at Bike MS, one of the, the sponsors this year for the Tour de Farms, one of the, uh, the things was a company called Pickle Juice. And um, pickle juice. They That's make, the name they, of the Judy Bloom book. They make bottled pickle juice as a sports drink. And they had it at quite a few of the things. And it's it's got electrolytes or some crap. And I'm like, this is just pickle juice. If yeah. I go out if I go out and buy a jar of pickles, not only do I get the pickle juice, but A, it's probably cheaper. And B, hey, I also get pickles. That was an entertaining story that nobody on the live feed just heard including I mark super who brought up that you uh who brought up the uh pickle icy from sonic so yeah you know what since nobody can hear this now and i've already done the tasting and 
really none of these Lester's I'm out of Lester's fixings drinks now because the place where I got it, they don't have any of the other ones, at least not now. Mm-hmm. They have the Melba's fixings drinks and I had one of them before and I can tell you it was really terrible. Yeah, that was the peanut butter and jelly one. Yeah, the PB&J was awful. Which I could imagine that would be pretty bad, the peanut butter part. Should I continue this feature and just use Melba's Fixin's stuff? Sure, why not? Because they have a ton of those. At some point, I've got to get you a a bottle of of the ranch soda. Yeah, I I need the ranch, the mustard, and the blue cheese. You could not get me to try the blue cheese. I just don't like blue cheese in general. The mustard one was pretty bad. The cinema snob loved it, though. Well, well then anyway, I'm going to end the live video. Thank you, oh, uh, Mark you and Steve, for watching. And um, Bye. Oh, yeah, that's right. Bye. Nobody can hear me because I'm not on the live feed. we got to figure out a way to do that. Yeah. I'm sure you could do that with OWS or OW. What is that? OWC? OBS. OBS. Oh, OBS. Yeah. Oh, OBS. So, thank you for that very informative segment, Sean. Oh, very. You're yeah. quite welcome to uh, to Pieces. So do we have any addenda or errata or news or? Um, I don't think we have any addenda and errata or news. Addenda and errata. Well, we do have some news. Um, First, uh, by the time this gets out, uh, this is going to be very late, but I figured I should mention it anyway. Underground Retrocade on September 13th, which from when we're recording this is tomorrow, it is the fifth anniversary of their reopening, their grand reopening at their current location. Oh, really? Yep. It was uh, Friday, September 13th, 2013. Oh, man. And that was the night I met Duke, too, and uh, Fred Oaks. And uh, it was it was a fun time. It was a, it was a really fun time. And I remember uh, Sue, Scott's wife, uh, the admission was $15. I paid $20. And she said, I don't have the cash box. I said, you know what? I really don't care. The important thing is that you guys were able to open. So mm-hmm. I just went off and did my thing. Nice. And uh, while I was playing Millipede, I saw a hand out of the corner of my eye reach over and stick a $5 bill on the control panel. Oh, no. And it was it was Sue. Like, I guess she, I guess uh, Scott had arrived with a cash box and uh, <laughs> that was my, it was my change. And I thought, wait, is this my change or is somebody calling next game on this? And by the way, if uh, anybody sees me in an arcade and I'm in the middle of the game, Please do not be afraid to put cash on the control panel. Oh, I really I'll lose a game for cash. I'm a good sport about that. You brought up Underground Retrocade, and uh, there's something I want to bring up, actually. Well, bring it up then. Okay. It's sort of, kind of, maybe kind of, sort of related. As everyone knows, Underground Retrocade has a one of the few Fix-It Felix Jr. cabinets there. Yep. And as people know, that Walmart has those little tabletop Little arcade things with uh, like Centipede or Joust or Rampage. They're going to release one of those with Fix-It Felix Jr. Now, the thing I want to know is which version of Fix-It Felix Jr. Because there are different versions. That's the question, which we don't know. The thing is with those... the home versions that I find, that I've found, there's one for Sega Genesis. There are a few other ones. They're not the same as the one that I'm used to playing at uh, Underground Retrocade. And uh, one time when I was there, Yestercade's in Red Bank, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. There was there was some sl- slight, but well, maybe not so slight because I was really missing them. But there were some differences. There were some things missing that weren't in the arcade version, and I was kind of bummed out. That's the thing with those little devices is they 
they're a bit of a crapshoot. The Rampage is the NES version. Yeah. And for some reason, the Centipede is the Atari 7800 version. Which is uh, a good version. Oh, not saying it's a bad version, but if you're going to put it in an arcade-style cabinet, I would kind of like to have the arcade version. That Maybe that's just me. But uh, but So that's going to be something to look out for. Uh, I yet have none of those. I would like to get the Joust one because if you sh- there's a, a couple of places in on the board there if you short it out it'll actually play defender uh hmm. defender was Seriously. supposed to be released to it and they programmed it or whatever but uh, i guess the rights to do it were lost so they never released oh. it you know that is like what is it Sp- is it space armada on the intellivision no um oh what was it is, that um astro smash astro smash yeah yes which started out as a uh uh, an asteroids clone, but what happened was is they didn't want to get in trouble with Atari, so they changed it to Astro Smash. But they never took the code out for the original yeah. game. And if you short it out or something or do something, yeah, if you exploit like a glitch, yeah, you can you play can, you can, uh, the original uh, asteroids type game out. Which yeah, I it was, to tr- it was basically going to be asteroids, but instead of the asteroids coming at you, you would actually be moving your ship through space, mm-hmm. kind of like in. Uh, Oh, I suddenly forgot the name of that game that I really, really love, uh, the shooter, um, with the guy that sounds like Ronnie Chang. Um, Bosconian. Bosconian, yeah. A lie, a lie, a lie, a lie. Yeah, just like that. And uh, if someone can confirm to me that the Fix-It Felix Jr. that's in the Walmart thing is the exact same game that I play at Underground Retrocade, I just might do the unthinkable and go to frickin' Walmart and get it. So there's that. Um, There was something else I was going to mention too. Well, I'll mention this, and this might be what you're going to mention. Apparently, the day that we're recording this is um, National Video Games Day. And how many video games have I played today? None! I played three today. Well, unless unless you count seven little words on my phone. That's not really Yeah, unless you count 2048, because I play that during my work commute sometimes. <laughs> there was a version of that game that I was addicted to for a while that didn't stop at 2048, and you just could keep going and going and going. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, this, one's, this one doesn't stop at 2048 either. I, I, was, I think I got it to 16384 once, which apparently is still small potatoes compared to how other people have done on it. Um... But hey, hey, what you gonna do? Uh, I think we should um, um, answer some emails that we've gotten. We've got emails. Yeah, we do. In fact, let emails. me see. Oh, we've got emails. Uh, here's one we got through the contact form on our website. Uh, Here it is. Um, uh, doesn't have a name attached to it. You're <clears throat> from anonymous person. Your oh. our friends in the menu is unclickable. Do you not have any friends? Oh, you can click on it. You can click on it. It just it doesn't do, do anything. anything. All right. Now, to answer this anonymous person's question, don't you have any friends? I think the answer is obviously no, or else there would be some friends popping up there. Mm-hmm. I mean, Indeed. I thought that was obvious. I mean, yeah. I don't want to sound snotty, but duh. We have no friends. Yeah. I really do need to redo that site. It's just atrocious. Yeah. Well... You're the one that does web design, not me. I don't do web design. I do web development. Oh, I'm a programmer. Program. The usual belief is that programmers can't design. And is that true? 
in my personal experience, yes. Uh, and I know that there are going to be some people who say, oh, I know this person who can prove you wrong. And yes, of course, there are some developers who also can design. I know that. Just not this fat guy talking here. I noticed the news on our uh, on our front page here is really kind of weird. 2018, 526. Episode 36, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and Return of the Jedi is now available. So we held on to episode 36 for a couple of years just so we could release it on May 26th of this year. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. And then it goes from episode 3073 to Midwest Gaming Classic, episode 74, no 75, then 36, 77, uh, yet another new episode 79. And this year's only August episode is out. And that's weird. We only had one in August, but we took some time yeah. off. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. We're working I mean, just on the it. overall design, like, do we really need to put all the all those links up there? Like, like the the uh, iTunes and the WordPress. We don't need the WordPress thing there. We don't need the WordPress thing, no. And as far as nah. the like thing and all of that, we could put that at the bottom of the page, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's usually the way. And, uh... I don't mind the uh, the bar with uh, the information. I like that. But I think what we should do is for our logo, maybe, <laughs> this is Tech Talk. Um, instead of putting the big square logo, find a way just to do a longer, like, banner logo to put it I do it. have a banner logo. Ah, it's going to be a banner logo for you. There you go. You see what you just did? You just did web design. There you go. And I will follow it up with web development. When? Ooh. I don't know. <laughs> oh, and I like that the show, oh yeah. And that's another thing I got to do. I had to rework the, um, CMS that I designed and I actually have to do an extra manual step to get the episode number to appear in the show notes. And I forgot to do that for episode 81. And I, one thing I think we need to do too, is where it says our friends, as you had mentioned that the reason why it's not clickable is because we don't have any friends. However, if you put we the word, get some. if, well, if you put the word friends in quotation marks, then anything Ooh. we put in the link would be correct. That's or, true. Or that many would be correct. Our so. friends. Friends. Yeah. People who tolerate us, maybe. Or people who don't know that we exist yet. But once they do, it's like, yeah, we've had enough. <laughs> Random folks. That'd be a yeah. nice one we could Oh, do. you know what? I do it's something else. And this is this is weird. And I'm going to admit this is, is kind of uh, D, on the DB side, too. But... I think it was Saturday night. I had a dream that you had died in a, in a bike accident. Okay. And I'm thinking, crap, what the hell am I going to do now? I got to put out a new episode, get it over to Hyde and everything, because we still have to go on because we still haven't gotten the uh, trading cards yet. I don't think we're on the trading cards yet. It's only just been announced. It hasn't actually been done yet. We mm -hmm. have to be, uh, this podcast has to exist until at least the trading cards come out. <laughs> I have the raw audio from the mic test you sent me. I could probably use something with that. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's see. Oh my God. Oh, and I better let his wife know that she can hurry up and return that microphone. I'm thinking, yeah, because I could really use that money. Oh, that's a, that's kind of stupid. I'll just tell her to keep the money. So yeah, my first concern was podcast logistics, not, oh my God, my friend I've known for 26 years is gone. No, it was podcast logistics. <laughs> Shows you where my you know priorities what you could do are. Is you, could do, you could do an episode of the podcast using random clips of me saying stuff, kind of like the episode of South Park uh, after a Chef left the show. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Oh man, 
I should like contact Hyde, which by the way, I'm not going to be able to reach out to him until at least Friday. So this oh. episode might take a really long time to get out because you know, he wants, he wants us to meet with him in person to do the exchange. He doesn't do the email thing. I don't know why, but uh, I'm not going to have a chance to do that until Friday. But what I want to do is see if he can maybe put together a show, a brand new episode that we don't actually have any involvement with whatever, just by using existing audio footage. Interesting. You know, one thing that's always irked me about, uh, about Hyde and his contract is that he won't read anything unless it's done totally in calligraphy. I I, I don't get that. Yeah. Thank God I have that friend in Pennsylvania who does calligraphy. Oh gosh. Yeah. It adds a lot of time to, to the logistics of this whole podcast, but uh, (sighs) Hyde thought he had us on that one. I think of that uh, we have more emails we need to read, though, don't we? I believe so. We got uh, one more. Th- this is the segment we like to call Sit Back Kitties. It's going to be a while. Um, <laughs> Since I started off last episode, why don't you start this one off this time? Will do. And uh, this again is from uh, Trek MD uh, Eugenio, a friend of the show, uh, good guy, as far as we know. <laughs> but uh, he's wrote us another email. Uh, hey, the one about time I actually, I actually like met him in person, he was a good guy. I'll, I'll take your word for it. And you're a good judge of character. You've said I'm a good judge of restaurants, so I think that's, I think that's, I think that's a fair trade off. There we go. Yeah. So you wouldn't have probably gone to the Weber Grill restaurant if it hadn't been for my recommendation. That's that's very true. So anyway. Hello, Sean and Jim. Hello. I hope hope you are doing well. I've continued listening to the podcast, new and old, so I put together some additional feedback. I don't really have anything to say about Reactor or Aliens, so I did not bother adding them to the list. Number one, Missile Command. Okay, are you ready for this? I never played Missile Command in the arcades back in the 80s. The very first version I ever played of this game was the Atari 2600 version, and I always thought it was an original game for the system that then saw a port to the 5200. Boy, was I wrong. I learned years later that the game originated in the arcades, and I have since had the chance to play the original arcade game at events like Free Play Florida. Needless to say, I thoroughly enjoyed the 2600 version when that was the only version I had, and then the 5200 version became my go-to version years later when I was able to play it with the 5200 trackball controller. The game does play pretty well with the 5200 controllers too, but is more fun with the trackball controller as it is more like the arcade. I know there's a hacked version for the 2600 that played in true trackball mode, but I have not given that a try. I should. I also have the Lynx version, but I don't play that one as much. I don't remember that being on the Lynx. Th- oh, you know, I think that was like a dual package with another game, now that I think about it. Can't remember what it would was, though. Um, Missile Command is one of those classics that has addicting gameplay and keeps you coming back for more. Number two, Mousetrap. Wait, let's. Let, let, um, do you have anything to respond to that, by the way? No, 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 not right. really. Um, other than I think it was the last episode, I did uh, pose the question if uh, we can uh, program uh, games for the 2600 and for the uh, Atari XE to use jet two buttons on oh, a Genesis right. controller yeah. that's just begging for someone to make a uh, a three-button version of Missile Command for either system. Oh, yeah, that system. would be amazing. If anything, it'd probably be more doable on the 8-bit than it would be on the 2600. It might not be doable at all, but at the very least, you could make a two-button version. Yeah, yeah. But two I know bases the two-button versions exist somewhere. I know that. Oh, yeah. And uh, this, this really sticks out for me here. He says, okay, are you ready for this? I never played Missile Command in the arcades back in the 80s. I'm sure many of us can say the oh, same yeah. thing. I never, I never played Missile Command until I played it either. I think an Underground Retrocade. Actually, I only played the 2600 version of that for the, for many years, 
and uh, maybe an Amiga public domain clone. I technically didn't play Missile Command for the very first time in an arcade. It was in a bowling alley. It was Town and Country Lanes in Joliet, which I don't remember if I said that in that episode or not, but uh, sometimes I think of things later. So there you go. So let's go on to number two here. Mousetrap. This one I remember playing at Time Out back in the day. It's yet another Pac-Man clone, but with unique enough gameplay to make it enjoyable. This is literally a cat and mouse game with a dog and a hawk mixed in that has the player control a mouse eating cheese in a maze. The game has its version of energizers, bones that turn the mouse into a dog, and has shifting doors that are colored and color-coded and can be used to change the maze. I do own two home ports of this game, the 2600 and Intellivision versions. The 2600 version is very simplified but does retain the basic elements from the arcade. The Intellivision version is far more arcade accurate and plays pretty well but does have one annoying feature, what it does with music and sound. It keeps interrupting the music when the game sounds happen, like when the cheese is eaten, and this is just annoying as it gets. I'm not sure why they had to do that. I know there's a version for the ColecoVision, but I've never played that one. I also have not been able to play this game again in an arcade machine since I've not seen it at PRGE or Free Play Florida. Maybe one of the events gets one this year. Um, As far as the sounds on the Intellivision version, um, I've noticed in some reviews of Intellivision games, that's a common thread with uh, Intellivision games, where if you have a game that has like some music in the background or whatever, if if the game makes a sound effect, it resets the sound. Um, Hmm. I know there are some 2600 games that do that, but uh, that's more of a thing on the Intellivision. I'm kind of curious as to why that is. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, I believe we Donkey Kong Jr. does it. Do we know who might be able to answer that question? Yeah, yes, please, please answer huh. that. Because uh, that, like I said, that seems to be a common thread with Intellivision. Hmm. Number three, track and field. I remember seeing this game in timeout, but I never did have a chance to play it much. I thought it was cool, but I mostly enjoyed seeing people hit the buttons like crazy in order to win at the various sporting events. I kept wondering how long the buttons would survive with all the beating they were getting. Imagine my surprise when I saw the game ported to the Atari 2600 with its very own special controller that would let me do the same type of button button smashing at home. I had to get it, and so I did. Sure, there was Activision's Decathlon, but that game did not have its very own cool controller. Heck, that one was a controller destroyer with all the shaking you had to do of the joystick to play. I still have my original copy of 2600 Track and Field with its controller and still enjoy it to this day. As for the arcade machine, this is another one I've not seen at any of the retro events. It would be cool to find one and give it a try. Mm. Track and Field is a 2600 game that I've wanted to get just because of the controller, and I believe the Atari 8-bit computer version came with that controller as well. It's the same controller, you know, the standard DB9 thing, and it, it... it's really just the left and right directions on the joystick with the jump well, button. Yeah, just like on Decathlon. And, and I which, think you can use it on Decathlon as well. Yeah, and uh, there are two options you can use, at least just for the running events. One option, which most Atari 2600 owners have, paddle controllers. Use the fire buttons on those. If You just have to find a way to keep the uh, paddles aligned so you can do that. And you can just like do that with the fire buttons. And what I did, and I'm pretty sure I mentioned this in the track and field episode, Vectrex controller, buttons three and four, left and right. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, nowadays a Vectrex controller run you a hundred bucks easily. I remember I did really good on track and field on the NES version because I had the NES NES Max controller and it had the uh, Hmm. rapid fire buttons. Ah. I was cheating, yeah. But, um, yeah, so, uh, try to feel. All right, number four, Space Invaders. I have vivid memories of playing Space Invaders at timeout and playing against two of my cousins trying to wipe out the very first screen of Invaders. 
Boy, was that hard. I'll never forget the first time I accomplished it and was so happy in doing a high five with my cousin. We were playing on the cocktail table version. Only to realize the game had continued and I ended up losing my <sighs> one remaining life the instant the new wave of aliens started attacking. It was a pyrrhic victory. Is that how you pronounce that, pyrrhic? I, I, hmm, give me a moment. Pyrrhic. Pyrrhic. Oh, okay. It was a Pyrrhic victory, but it did not matter. I had been able to wipe out that one wave, and I was happy. Of course, I kept playing and playing and playing after that, and became good enough to clear more than one wave of aliens. It should come as no surprise that I immediately bought the 2600 version upon release and spent hours upon hours playing it with its tons of variations. As the years have gone by, I've gotten just about every version I can find for pretty much every system I own. I have versions for the Vectrex, 5200, the 7800, the PSP, the Genesis, etc., each version brings its own taste to the game, and I love it. Yep, I'm a Space Invaders addict. Heck, I even have more than, more than one hacked version for the 2600. doesn't <laughs> matter which version I play, I always enjoy a game of Space Invaders. That is one thing with the 2600 version of Space Invaders, is all the different variations. There's no way you could get bored with the 2600 version of Space yeah. Invaders. That cartridge had so much replay value, it was insane. And I would argue that that's actually another reason why that that could be considered the killer app for the 2600. It's not only yeah. was it the arcade game, but they added so much to it that you just couldn't get bored with it. It was Yeah, it's still my favorite version of the game, hands down. In fact, when I first saw it, it was the Atari 2600 version at my uh, uncle's uh, aunt and uncle's cousin's house. And I remember one time when we went over there, I just said, hey, can we play Space Invaders? I didn't say Atari. Well, I didn't know it was Atari, but you know. And I will add that it's probably That's when my I saw f- Super Breakout, too, for the first time. There you go. I will add that this 2600 Space Invaders is probably always going to be my favorite port, but the Atari 5200 version is very, very close second. I just, I just like the way that that one looks. And it's I, a little I, more colorful, too. If, if I could play it with trackball controller, it could probably take it over as being my favorite version, but I don't own the trackball, so that's unlikely to happen. All right, number five. Tempest, another game that I played at Time Out back in the day. There were many quarters spent learning this fantastic game in all its abstract beauty. They also had one of those machines, or one of these machines in the arcade in college, so I played it plenty there. I did not have any home versions of Tempest until years late years later when I bought an Atari Jaguar and got to Tempest 2000. I was blown away by this update to the game. Not only does the update look fantastic, but it sounds just as fantastic with its superb musical score. I played the game with the standard controller, and then I learned that there were people making rotary controllers for the Jaguar by modifying the standard controllers, and I had to get one of those. What a difference that made in playing an already fun game. There have, of course, been other releases of this game for other consoles by homebrew developers, so I also have Tempest for the 5200 and the Atari XEGS. My most recent acquisition, though, is Tempest 4000 for the PS4, which I want to play that, and there's... um. Oh, gosh, what is the Tempest? It's Tempest Elite, I believe, on the Atari 8-bits, which is a no port idea. of Tempest 2000. And it's only available from, um, I think it's Video 61. I want to oh, okay. get it, but I can't justify shelling out the 50 bucks for it right now. Uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely want that one. So, and Of course, there's the underwear version of the game. Oh, yeah. Um, Panty Invaders, I think they call it, isn't it? The 2600 version? So, yeah, something like that. Which... You gotta give them credit for trying. Yeah, it was kind of ill-advised. Although I still think they could probably do one if they used some sort of variation on the code that makes the vines and pitfall. Hmm. I think it's possible. 
but it'd be amazing flicker fest. But geez, that version, I couldn't even figure out how to play that thing because it's just so hard to follow. Yeah. Like I said, kudos for trying. Somebody tried the impossible. Yeah. They didn't pull it off, but you know, kudos for attempting it. And I am going to read my last one here is Roadrunner. Well, my last one for now. I first learned about Roadrunner when I saw the Atari 2600 version of the game, which I had assumed was an original game for the system, given all the other kid titles that Atari had been releasing for the system. Little did I know that this was the port of an arcade game. In fact, I learned many years later when I watched one of the Let's Compare videos on YouTube. Much to my surprise, that video had the arcade game along with a few other home ports. I have, unfortunately, never seen an arcade cabinet of this game, so my only experience is with the 2600 version, which is a which is a pretty decent port. I may have to get the NES version to play something that is closer to the arcade at home. Something I can certainly say about this game is that it feels like you're playing an episode of the cartoon. Beep, beep. <laughs> the 2600 version of Roadrunner is insanely difficult. Um, I've been playing, I've, I play that one every now and then. That I still is, haven't played it. It is insanely difficult, and there's no continues in it. It's 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 really good. It's really well done, and the animation on it's really good. The Roadrunner looks like the Roadrunner. The Coyote looks like the Coyote. Um, they didn't skimp anything in the graphics department. In fact, I would I would argue that the game, for what it does, does kind of push the limits of what the twenty six hundred can do. But it's hard as hell. I and, played the Commodore sixty four version of it a lot. I I had that for a while. And I'm going to say in response to Eugenio, the same thing that I told him before. Next time you're in the Chicago area, get to Galloping Ghost. They have a Roadrunner. I've been th- been thinking about getting back there to play Roadrunner myself because I mm. miss playing the arcade Roadrunner. It's one thing to play an emulation. It's something else entirely to play the machine, as, as it is with really any of these games. Now, rem- remind me, is that one of those games where the uh, controller is not just an eight-way control, but like a 47-way or something? I don't recall. I, it, neither it, neither it, do I. It, it seems to me that in playing the game that you have more movement than just eight directions. Yeah. It, it feels like it. I could be wrong on that. I'd have to re-listen to that episode, which actually I've been meaning to actually listen to some of our back episodes. Ugh. All I know, though, at this point is I want to f- at some point see the LaserDisc Roadrunner Yeah, prototype. and you know if anybody's going to get it, it's going to be Doc. Oh, hell the yeah. The Ghost. In fact, I haven't actually been guessing that about his Monday Mystery Games. Lately, mm. they've all been pretty much games from Japan, I think, though. I like Roadrunner. There were, oh, I think we mentioned in that episode, too, that there was a Roadrunner game that was being developed for the Atari 5200, but it's more like, uh, what do they call that? Like, uh, it's like Happy Trails on the Intellivision uh, Locomotion. Locomotion in oh, the arcade. Really? Which, uh, actually, another game I'm, i got to add to the spreadsheet, which I'm going to do We should add right. looping to the spreadsheet, too. I thought I had that on there. I will add that. I have never played it. I have no idea what looping looks like. I know they had it at Logan Arcade, Logan Hardware at some point, but I never played it. No, I think Galloping Ghost has it. Um, I've played it on the ColecoVision, uh, and I've played the Atari 2600 prototype. The 2600 prototype is really well done, but hard. Like all of the ColecoVision prototypes that have that have been found over the last six, seven years. And um, it's not listed at Galloping Ghost on Orcade.com. Really? I thought it was. I thought Doc had Fun spot, Grinkers, Hyperspace in Lakewood, Colorado, and Pinball PA in Alkeepa, Pennsylvania. Huh. I thought Doc had it. Interesting. And I know that I saw looping in the uh, preview video on Logan Arcade's website. I've played looping in the arcade, but I could not tell you where. So what were we talking? Oh, right, right. Trek MD. 
So now TrekMDE says this about Berserk. Kill the humanoid, kill the humanoid. Who can forget those words? Uh, I'm going to stop right there. Uh, I don't know who can forget them, but I don't remember them from the game, actually. I, I remember got the humanoid, got the intruder, or was it the other way around? Uh, and I always thought they were saying, ha ha, humanoid, ha ha, intruder. Nope, sorry, you thought wrong. But anyway, uh, going back to uh, Eugenio, who can forget those? One of the various phrases this arcade game shouted at the player when robots were getting ready to kill the player. Berserk is another classic arcade game that I played at timeout, and I spent many quarters on it. I, of course, purchased the 2600 version as soon as it was released, and I played it for hours and hours. Atari did a very good job adapting the game for the system despite it not having voice. Of course, homebrew developers have fixed that since, and now we have versions of 2600 Berserk that have the familiar phrases. I have the 5200 version as well, which I got years later, and that led to relearning the game. On this version, the robots shoot diagonally, something they couldn't do on the 2600. And this changes the strategy that has to be used. Oh, yeah. I also have the Vectrex version with and without voice, which is a respectable port of the game. By the way, chicken fight like a robot. I loved the 2600 version despite... And by the way, he mentions um, the voice being in uh, 2600 homebrews. It's also in the 7800 homebrew frenzy slash berserk two-in-one mm -hmm. cartridge. It is. And this also has that, that uh, I don't want to call it a feature, but that idiosyncrasy in which the gameplay stops when the voice happens. And I know the 20, I don't know if there's a 2600 version that uses the Atari Vox. I imagine if it does, it wouldn't require game stoppage, but I know there's one that doesn't use it, but still has the uh, voice synthesis. Uh, there's Berserk VE. Voice enhanced. And uh, does that require the Atari Vox or no. is it just, okay. no, it so not. yeah, that one prob that one also will have that problem. It stops. Yeah. And because it stops and I'm, I don't know about the uh, 2600 version, but the 7,800 version, because the action has to stop because the uh, voice synthesis uses so much CPU bandwidth, there are only some, a few select phrases from the original game used like just the most important ones, like intruder alert, uh, chicken fight like a robot. And of like course, just the, it, the, and of the, course, it leaves off the coin detected in pocket. Yeah, yeah, because uh, duh, <laughs> and the arcade berserk, like the robots are literally having conversations with each other, mm -hmm. and so they had to take that out of the uh, the game for the for the seventy eight hundred version, or else the game would just keep stopping every couple of seconds. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have anything to say in uh, response to uh, TrekMD's Berserk comments? Nope. Good. Rally X, uh, TrekMD continues, this game I do remember seeing at the arcade in college and playing a few times before they removed it. I guess it wasn't played much, so they decided to change it. I thought the game was rather unique since it combined a driving game with a maze game. Unfortunately, it would not be until years later that I'd play the game again when I bought the Namco Museum Battle Collection for the PSP. That collection has the original Rally X, New Rally X, and New Rally X arrangement. Needless to say, I've spent many hours playing all those versions. Thankfully, Arcade Odyssey does have a machine that plays this game also, so I can enjoy the arcade version there as well. Now, the other version that I am playing is the 2600 port created by Ed Freeze. Yes, Ed started working on this version in 2013, and the game plays very well. 
He's keeping it 4K in size, just like he did with Halo 2600, just for the challenge of making the game in that size. And I really have nothing further to say, mainly because I'm not a big, huge Rally X fan, although I really do want to give it another chance, like give it some more love, uh, say, next time I go to Underground Retrocade. Oh, one thing I did wanted to, to mention, um, yeah. or I forgot to talk about earlier, uh, I guess it's kind of a minor thing, but or lately I've been listening to the, the Antic podcast, the entire 8-bit podcast. They talked to Owen Rubin. Mr. Fabulous himself. Alan Rubin! Come on! Alan Rubin! Who created Major Havoc, Space Duel, and Battlezone. And um, there's the one Atari developer whose name we keep having trouble with. His name is pronounced Dave Tour. Is it Thur, 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 Thur? Dave Tour. Yeah. I just wanted to bring that up. Listen to episode 172 of the Antic Podcast uh, right. with Owen Rubin. It's really, really fascinating. So, Oh, by the way, Arcade Odyssey is a uh, arcade in Miami. Ah, okay. It looks like they have mostly newer-ish kind of things. Uh, uh-huh. Raiden 4, Silent Scope, Space Invaders 95. Silent Scope's a fun game. Let's see. They have, they have some pinball there. Uh, have you ever played Silent Scope? Nope. It's a fun game from Konami. It's a it's a sniper game, and it's it's really interesting because it's it's two screens. First, you got the big screen that everybody can see, which is like a you know everybody in the arcade can see, which is like a general wide view of everything. But there's a little tiny LCD screen in the sight on the rifle, which zooms in on the image on the screen behind. It's a really neat effect. Interesting. I don't see Rally X mentioned in the in the game list. But I do see Dance Dance Revolution Extreme! France, France Revolution. Uh, anyway, gun number nine. Nine. Junior Pac-Man. I saw this game at timeout, and I knew I had to play it. There were lines to get to play it, too, as it seemed everyone in the arcade just wanted to give Junior a spin. When I finally had a chance to play, I could not believe how difficult the game was and how little my quarters lasted. The ghosts in this game are relentless, and the overall speed of the game is also higher than on the other Pac-Man games. Not having escape tunnels also adds to the difficulty, but having the scrolling mazes is rather cruel. Though there are six power pellets, I hate the bonus item's ability to destroy them. That is just not fair. Uh, Actually, it only can destroy the outer four. But anyway, I never got very far playing Junior Pac-Man on the arcade, so when the game was released for the 2600, I immediately bought it. Despite this version changing the maze scrolling from the horizontal to the vertical, it actually is an impressive port that shows how far programming had advanced in the system. I, of course, have Bob DiCrescenzo's superb port for the 7800, and the binary for the snow levels, as well as the 5200 port. With those versions, I am able to play further than I ever did in the arcade, but I assure you that easy they are not. Mm, Easy they are not. There is not an easy version of Junior Pac-Man unless you're playing a version in which Junior Pac-Man moves twice the speed as normal. You know, something I've been curious about, and I've never checked this out, and I probably won't, but um, every version, home version of Junior Pac-Man scrolls horizontally, just like the the arcade, um, but the 2600 scrolls vertically. Is the 2600, do the 2600 mazes replicate the arcade mazes just scrolling in a different direction? I don't think they do, no. As I say, because it would be neat if you like were able to somehow turn your television on its side, you know, play a perfect scrolling game of Junior Pac-Man, 
would be kind of an interesting twist. Interestingly, Pac-Man is almost like that. Like if you rotate your TV uh, 90 degrees to the left, you'll notice that suddenly you have the monsters coming out of the top of the box and the game is vertically oriented. The tunnels are on the sides instead of the top and bottom. True. Interesting. And and by the way, I, I did not mention this, but uh, TrekMD mentions the snow levels. What is that? That is a hack that somebody did from... Uh, Bob DiCrescenzo's 7800 uh, Junior Pac-Man. I haven't actually seen it myself, but I know it's up on Atari Age. You can download it from the... uh, uh, If you go into the Atari 7800 forums on Atari Age, there is a pinned thread for homebrews and hacks. You could definitely get it through that thread because there is a Pac-Man construction kit, and I'm thinking it might have been made with that. But anyway, um, moving on, number 10, Food Fight. My first experience with Food Fight was when I got the game for my Atari 7800. Yep, me too. I knew about the arcade game because I had the Joystick magazine, but I never Mm -hmm. actually encountered it, or else I definitely would have played it. Anyway, he says, uh, I had never played the arcade game, but the game looked so cool, so I purchased it, and boy was I hooked. This is one fantastic game, and the 7800 port truly plays well. I finally got to play the arcade version at Free Play Florida about three years ago, and I was impressed at the accuracy of the 7800 port. This is one instance where playing the home version does help with one's skills with the arcade version. Well, maybe for maybe for you guys, but not for not for me. But huh. <coughs> excuse me, man, that pickle juice has a lot of gas. Oh man, that pickle soda. Uh, anyway, uh, I have not seen another machine of this game at Free Play Florida again but I'm hoping there will be one this year or perhaps at Portland Retro Gaming Expo. There isn't much to say about Food Fight. The game is humorous, plain fun, and very addicting. It's a great way to have a food fight without making a mess where you are. And Eugenio, I say one more time. uh, Next time you're in the Chicago area, go to Galloping Ghost. They have it. Although I think it was was out of commission last time I was there. That game does break down a lot. It's not Galloping Ghost's fault, but like... No, it's it's the way the machine is made. It's the machine, The ghost keeps its... uh, the ghost does its damnedest to keep that machine up and going because that's yeah, truly it, a great game. But it's it's I think it's something with the joystick. The way the joystick was that sounds about right. Yeah, but they they do a good job of keeping it, fixing it in a relatively quick time. But and I want to say that they have it at Yestercades in Red Bank, New Jersey. But I don't know if you anyway ever goes to New Jersey. I don't know. But oh well, that's a game I'd like to see more machines out at the arcades. Oh yeah, because mm-hmm. that's. Mm-hmm. Truly one of the underdogs of the classic arcade era, I think. I don't think it got the wide exposure it deserved. Yeah. Uh, let's see, number 11, Mappy. Mappy. My experience with Mappy is actually limited. Me too. I know I saw this game at Time Out, but I never gave it a try. It wasn't until years later when I got my PSP that I decided to give the game a try, as it was part of the Namco Museum Battle Collection, and to my surprise, I enjoyed it. That was actually the only version of Mappy that I ever played until recently when Jean Champeau announced that he was porting the game to the Atari 2600. If you guys have not seen this version, I suggest you check it out because it is very well made. And he gives a link here and I will make sure that goes in the show notes. The graphics are impressive and it does capture the gameplay well. I've yet to try the arcade version, but it does appear that the arcade Odyssey has it. So I need to go there and give the arcade a try. Hmm, I just realized that this is the second cat and mouse game I've talked about in the same feedback email. Maybe that is my email's theme? Hmm. 
Anyhow, the game definitely has a cute look to it because of how cartoony the characters are, and the music is really unforgettable. It's one of those tunes that just gets stuck in your head. Yeah, seriously, the second I read that word mappy, I could hear the music in my head. It really is, and uh, it really is unforgettable there. And yeah, the, and, uh, the second thing that came into my mind was, oh my god, has he seen the 2600 version? Yes, he has, apparently. I nearly had to change my pants when I first saw that. Holy good. It's like, how, how are you doing that? Have you seen it? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, oh, man. Yeah, I've seen that. Like, you got to be kidding me. This this is, you're lying. This is, this is something else. This is an Atari 2600, but apparently it is. Huh. So anyway, um, Eugenio Further has stuff to say, but they're about games that we're about to talk about in the next coming minutes so um we're gonna hold off on eugenio's comments until we're talking about it so that we're not jumping all over the place yay but eugenio ends his email as he usually does well that's all for now guys going to the final frontier gaming eugenio eugenio reply reply all forward and there we go there we are (sighs) and yeah i don't think we have any addenda or any addenda any errata so shall we just jump right in yeah, sure, sure. Um, do, should we go, like, chronologically, or... Uh, yeah, sure, let's go chronologically. Okay. Why not? Which means Mr. Dew's Castle. Mr. Dew's Castle. Huzzah, Mr. Dew's Castle. And uh, Mr. Dew's Castle first saw the light of day in November 1982, but it was called Mr. Dew versus Unicorns. <laughs> I'm glad they changed the name. Hmm, I never really thought of that before. Uh, it was originally going to be called Knights vs. Unicorns, and it wasn't really intended to be part of the Mr. Do series. But in September 1983, the game got a worldwide release, and it was called Mr. Do's Castle Everywhere Else. Now, here's something interesting that I noticed. Uh, I'm uh, Jimmy G, have you ever noticed that I can get pretty particular about certain things? No. I can be, I know. Really? Seriously, yeah, really? Don't say. I'm saying right now. So yes, I do say. But I can be very particular about something. So anytime I talk about any Mr. Do game, I put an exclamation point after do. So it's like Mr. Do bang apostrophe s castle. Now this is interesting. The exclamation point is in the name of the game on the marquee, but it's not there in the attract screen. I think that's true about the other game we're talking about too. So I don't know what the deal is there. But I do know what the deal is with the game itself. Once again, you are controlling a character named Mr. Do, who is a clown. And it's the original clown from the original Mr. Do game. And you control Mr. Do as he is pursued by unicorns. And the pursuit happens on a board that kind of sort of resembles Donkey Kong and other similar games or ladders or platforms. And uh, you're being pursued by three different kinds of unicorns. There are red unicorns, there are green unicorns, which are introduced in scene four. The game is divided up into scenes, not levels or stages or whatever. They're called scenes, just as in the original Mr. Do. And there are blue unicorns, and uh, blue unicorns are bigger and stronger, and um, they can actually multiply. They asexually reproduce. I noticed that while playing tonight, if you take your time... Yeah. Yeah. And uh, red unicorn. well, yeah, because red unicorns can actually turn into blue unicorns if they're not destroyed in a certain amount of time. Now, last episode we did, I mentioned how I normally don't like to 
necessarily talk about the entire gameplay, but Mr. Do's Castle might require it. And uh, one reason I'm saying that is because you, Jimmy G, on more than one occasion oh? have said, I really don't understand Mr. Do's Castle. Mm. So with your arcade experience, not understanding Mr. Do's Castle, you're probably by far not the only person. So that's kind of why I'm going to talk about the gameplay itself. I have been playing it a little bit more since then. And I, and in, in reality, it's kind of the same. The, the goal is really pretty much the same as Mr. Do, yeah. but the mechanics are just so, so wildly different to yep. where you could see where that confusion would come in. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the goal is the same. You still want to, you want to finish the scenes and, uh, the main way to finish the scene is to destroy all the enemies, the unicorns in this case. In the original Mr. Do, you had that, uh, bouncing ball that you could shoot at your enemies and then it would come bouncing back at you. And, uh, the more you use it successfully, the slower it gets. Well, you don't have that in Mr. Do's castle. You have this giant hammer mallet thing. I'm just going to call it a hammer. Hammer time. And you don't actually, the hammer doesn't actually lose any power over time. You can use it as much as you want. There's a button that you hit in the control panel to activate it. And there are several ways that you can evade, if you will, the unicorns. One way is, uh, well, each platform has sections that are built up out of blocks. You can hammer a block out of a platform and a unicorn might actually fall into that gap that you leave when you hammer a block out. And the unicorn will actually climb out of the gap. And when the unicorn climbs out of the gap successfully, the hole, the gap is actually filled back in with a block. I have to interject here. I kind of like the little uh, the little animation of when he uh, that is puts a good the, animation. The, the block in there. I just, I never noticed that until tonight. That is kind of cool. And if you hit the unicorn with the hammer while the unicorn is trying to climb out, the unicorn will fall right through down to the level below. And if the level below has a gap, he'll fall right through that gap, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That only works with the red and green un uh, unicorns, by the way. The blue unicorns cannot be hammered through a gap. One thing you can do is swing the hammer at a unicorn directly, and the unicorn will kind of take a step back for a brief moment. Uh, it's not terribly useful. If you're doing that, you're probably going to end up dead anyway. You know, that's great, because I like to think, if I had a hammer... Here we go. Uh, I'm going to end it there. Yep, yep. Yeah, I knew there was going to be a hammer time. I knew there was going to be a Trini Lopez thing. Um, and um, I could take it see. further and do the Howie Mandel joke about the, the song. No, it's not. Oh, okay. But anyway, in the first two scenes, you can actually destroy a unicorn by hammering the unicorn down a gap. Uh, how can I explain this? If you hammer a block out of a platform so that it falls and there is a unicorn on it as it falls you destroy the unicorn kind of like in burger time when you walk across a patty and an enemy falls down uh, it's kind of like that and that only works with scenes one and two and let's see what else can you do to destroy a unicorn oh you can hammer a platform block so that it lands on a unicorn that'll kill the unicorn also like burger time uh, you can when you flatten one of the enemies with a layer of hamburger. And uh, there's also, um, what you can do is, if there is a unicorn climbing out of a gap, you can actually fall onto the unicorn as it's climbing out of the gap. That will destroy the unicorn. However, that will also destroy you. 
unless that is the last unicorn of the scene. I found that out, even though like if you only have one unicorn left on the screen and you actually land on that unicorn, the unicorn's destroyed, you still get the lose a life sound, but you don't actually lose your life. And it goes to the next sequence. And it goes to the next scene. Yeah, it goes to the next I, scene. I found that out for myself tonight. <laughs> Another way you can evade the unicorns, uh, there are two different types of ladders that you can climb up and down. There's just a plain old vertical ladder, and there are some angled ladders. They're actually almost staircases. You can actually push the angled ladders to the other platform, uh, to the platform over to your left or to your right, depending on where you are. You have to be at the top of the, of the ladder, but you can actually push it over to the other side, including if there's an enemy on it. So you can redirect your enemies that way. So that kind of helps. So yeah, to advance to the next scene, you have to destroy all of the unicorns. And in the original version of Mr. Do's castle and in all versions of Mr. Do versus unicorns, that was the only way to advance to the next level. You had to destroy all the unicorns. There are later ROM revisions that have a new feature, and that's that there are cherries embedded in some of the platform blocks. And you could actually advance to the next scene by hammering away all the cherry blocks. Really? That's a different ROM uh, revision? Yep. I did not know that because every version I've seen of it has the cherries in the blocks. There's one that you have that you may have seen that doesn't. I'll get to that later. Okay. So not only do some blocks have cherries, there are other blocks that have keys. And uh, th you'll see these gray blocks with keys inside them. If you hammer out a key block, then all the other key blocks will start flashing in different colors. And what you can do is if you knock out all of those key blocks, there's going to be a door at the top of the castle that opens up and it reveals this colorful flashy cross. And then there's a bonus timer. Well, I, it's not even really a bonus timer. I'm just going to call it a timer. But the timer starts up, and if you go up to the top of the castle, go to that door and touch the cross, then what's going to happen is any unicorns that are left on the screen turn into alpha monsters. The same alpha monsters from the original Mr. Do, those uh, round blue enemies with a letter on their torsos. And the unicorns will actually stay alpha monsters until either you destroy all of them or the timer runs out. And uh, during the time when the uh, unicorns are alpha monsters, the letters on their torsos cycle every couple of seconds between E, X, T, R, and A. Actually, sorry about that. Sorry about that. No, no. Among E, X, T, R, and A. You see, if you use... Only two you use between, but if you're uh, including more than two, you use among. So since there are five letters, you use among. Got that? Uh, no. And uh, what happens then is if you destroy an alpha monster, whether you hammer it or you uh, make a piece of platform land on it, then a flag will raise on the top of the castle that has whatever letter that the alpha monster was carrying at the time. And if you destroy enough alpha monsters that you spell the word extra, the scene ends and you get a congratulatory screen with a message that says, congratulations, you win extra man. <laughs> You're a winner. Oh, let me tell you something else though. Some versions of the ROM, not the original, but some versions of the ROM have the diamond 
from the original Mr. Do. Oh. And I don't know how to trigger it. I don't know if anybody knows how to trigger it, but it's just like the diamond in the original Mr. Do. If you grab it, you get 8,000 points and a free game credit. Huh. And also, if you grab the diamond, the scene ends, and you get a congratulatory message that says, congratulations. <laughs> so, yeah. But um, that's really Mr. Do's castle. It actually is pretty easy to figure out if you stick with it for a few minutes, if you hadn't uh, heard any of what I said. And uh, what's interesting, though, is uh, the original Mr. Do, you see that the first thing you're going to say is, this is a Dig Dug ripoff. And I mentioned this in the Mr. Do episode when we uh, talked about that and uh, Tinkle Pit. Mm-hmm. That I never heard of Mr. Do until I saw it at a restaurant in the 90s. And I tried it out and I said, okay, this looks like Dig Dug. So I played it as if it were Dig Dug. And I was able to actually figure out how to do everything. I was able to figure out how to play. Mr. Do's Castle, however, it almost seems like it could be an updated version of Space Panic, which is another game from Universal, by the way. Now, remember how I said that if uh, you've never seen Mr. Do, but you are familiar with Dig Dug, that you could probably figure out Mr. Do just by playing it as if it were Dig Dug. Can the same be said about Mr. Do's castle in Space Panic, or as uh, they call it in Japan, Spaceu Paniku? <laughs> I um, don't know. I really don't know. What do you think? Do you think uh, somebody not familiar with Mr. Do's castle, but familiar with Space Panic would be able to pick up on it? Using the space panic you logic, know, I was thinking about that, and um, it would seem to me space panic can be used. You know, if you if you know space panic, you could probably play this this game a little bit better. But if you know space panic and Burger Time, I think that oh, you would yeah. uh, definitely be able to be better at this because there's a lot of Burger Time elements in this game. Yep, yep. You can make enemies fall. You can land things on other enemies. Oh, one other thing that I forgot to mention. Uh, there are some skull uh-huh. blocks, and they're always in pairs. There's a skull, and then at least one or more blocks, and then another skull. If you pound out the two skulls, then what's going to happen is all the blocks that would have been in between those two skulls, they all fall down at the same time, killing any enemies that are underneath. So that's actually a good way to wipe out a ton of enemies. So yeah, is there anything else that I'm forgetting about? No, not really. No, I don't think so. Yeah, good. Because now I should talk about how you score points in this game. How uh, do you score points in this game? By killing your enemies, really, Yay. by murdering unicorns. Man, Hermione Granger would hate this game. <laughs> and the object of the game is the exact same object as the original Mr. Do, as I said before. Yep. Basically, yep. destroy all the monsters. Or, or, if you have the proper ROM revision, uh, get rid of all, all the, the cherries. cherries. You get 20 points for every block that you hammer out, um, whether it's a plain block or a cherry block. Truth be told, I didn't notice if a key block is any different. If you knock a block onto a uh, red unicorn, you get 500 points. If the unicorn falls two levels, you get 1,000 points. If it falls three levels, you get basically 500 points per level that the unicorn falls. That's for a red unicorn. Green unicorn, the point value is doubled, and a blue unicorn, the point value is tripled. If you kill two, three, or four unicorns with one block, 
because you can kill more than one unicorn by dropping a single block, then you'll either get double, quadruple, or sextuple the points. So, yeah. And uh, really, that's the scoring right there. That's it. And um, there are some home versions of Mr. Do's Castle. Parker Brothers made one for the Atari 2600. And what I found interesting about this, hmm. who made Mr. Do for the Atari 2600? Coleco. When I looked at the Parker Brothers Atari 2600 Mr. Do's Castle, I instantly thought that it looked like a reskinned Atari 2600 Donkey Kong. It looked just like Donkey Kong hmm. for the 2600, which was made by whom? Um, I don't remember. Was it Dan Kitchen? Gary Kitchen? Coleco. Well, Coleco, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was one of the kitchen. I think it was Gary Kitchen, but I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting little coincidence that uh, Coleco did the original Mr. Do for the 2600. Parker Brothers' Mr. Do's Castle for the 2600 looks like the Coleco 2600 Donkey Kong. So, I don't know. Well, it's not really an anomaly. We talked about in the Star Wars episode where Atari made the Star Wars arcade game, Parker Brothers made the uh, the home versions. Well, my point was that they eerily looked alike. Yeah. Then, of course, you know, you know, all of the Pac-Man games were Bally Midway uh, up until Namco got pissed at Bally Midway, and then Pac-Mania was an Atari yeah. game. So, I mean, it's un- not unheard of for this sort of thing to happen. Yeah. But think... It was just a little bit too coincidental for me that Mr. Do's castle looked like Donkey Kong. I'm kind of curious who who that individual who actually did program Don, uh, uh, Mr. Do's castle was. I, did Ferg talk about it yet? I don't know. I'll have to check. Huh. Uh, there was also a version for the Atari 5200 and the Atari 8-bit computers. Was it the same version, essentially? Uh, more than likely. Okay. The only difference between the 5200 and the uh, 8-bit computers were the controllers and the lack of memory in the 5200. Yeah, yeah. the 5200 generally got better ports of the games than the 8-bit computers. Figure that out. Yeah. Uh, let's see, there was one for the Commodore 64, which I did try out briefly, and it is a very good version. It's a very good version. Uh ColecoVision had it, which makes sense. They had the original Mr. Do. The Sharp X68000 had Mr. Do's castle, as did the uh, MSX. And uh, so, are there any other home versions I'm not thinking about? Not that I can think I of. I don't think so either. Uh, there was also um, nothing else. Uh, and uh, where did you first see and or play Mr. Do's castle? Uh, Honestly, I don't remember. Yeah. It was definitely not at Aladdin's castle. Or uh, Putt Putt. It may have been at Galileans, but I'm not 100% certain. I do know I did play this back in the classic era. I did hear about. I believe it's pronounced Galileans. Uh-huh. Um, I do remember playing it in the classic era, but that is uh, about all I uh, know off the top of my head. Well, hey, I I mentioned in this episode and a previous episode that I didn't even know about Mr. Do in the classic era. I certainly didn't know about Mr. Do's castle actually until long after I learned about Mr. Do in the 90s. So uh, I never actually... Now, here's the thing. I absolutely played an arcade version of this in the last few years, and I could have sworn up and down that it was at Galloping Ghost. But a friend of mine told me it couldn't have been Galloping Ghost. I actually gave Doc a Mr. Do's Castle machine, and he has not put it out on the floor yet. And it was working when I gave it to him. Hmm. I said, are you sure they never? He said, nope, they never had it. 
But I must have just gotten my timeline mixed up. It was probably at Pixel Blast in Lyle, Illinois. L-I-S-L-E. Yes, I did play it at Pixel Blast. And they have the non-cherry version. Really? And I didn't even realize that there was a non-cherry version of it, so I, I just never really thought of it, I guess. But uh, Mr. Do's Castle is a pretty rare game. Um, if you look on Orcade.com, besides Pixel Blast, the only arcades listed that have it are in New Jersey. There's Yestercades in Red Bank and Morristown Game Vault in Morristown, New Jersey, which is up by the Parsippany Whippany area. Parsippany Whippany. Uh, and uh, it also lists flashbacks at Seaside Heights, but there's a big asterisk there. In fact, it's even noted on, our, on Orcade.com. Flashbacks at Seaside Heights no longer exists. I don't know if it was victimized by Hurricane Sandy. I think it may have been, and some of the games survived, but the rest of them perished in a fire not long afterwards. There was a big chunk of the boardwalk at Seaside Heights, freak fire accident, and a lot of the boardwalk got wiped out. And some of the businesses are back, but uh, people didn't like it when I said this, but it was really for the best that uh, flashbacks just is no longer there because they did not take good care of those games at all, at mm -hmm. all. Every time I went there, yet another game was out of commission and uh, the ones that had been out of commission before weren't repaired. So every year you'd pay an extra quarter to play one fewer video game. Mm -hmm. and they were in terrible shape. I mean, yeah, I understand that they're right on the ocean, but you know what? So is Silver Ball and Asbury Park. In fact, they're even closer to the ocean, arguably, but their machines are in fine shape. So, meh. But anyway. Anyway. Well, since uh, there's an awkward silence, I guess I should go on to my further research here. Yes, uh, please do. And that would be, that would be high scores. Yes, and since I was talking about uh, Orcade.com, um, there are actually two Mr. Do's Castle tracks on Orcade.com, one with the cherries, one without. The one that has the cherries has no scores on it. Hmm. So, hey, if you can play a uh, cherry version of Mr. Do's Castle and have an Orcade.com referee verify the settings and officiate it, you already have the world record for Orcade.com. Yay. But for the No Cherries version, uh, according to my notes, this is the FACO Tree default settings, which apparently is three lives. The extra setting is set to easy to win and game difficulty one. Uh, Luke Ojeda got that record on January 3rd, 2017 at Pixel Blast, or is it Ojeda? Ojeda. I think it's Ojeda, yeah. See, where have I heard that name? Ojeda and Pixel Blast. I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Luke is the son of uh, one of the owners, but he scored 189,400, which, man, I want to watch him play that because, man, I can't get past 22,000 on the Cherry version. I want to see what, what his secret is. Hmm. Um, if we go over to Twin Galaxies, according to uh, their records, they have two different tracks, one for factory settings, uh, but it doesn't actually specify whether it's the cherry version or non-cherry version, but it shows Barry Lewis um, as their record holder, verified by referee on April 12th, 1984, and his score was 421,780. And there's also a track there for tournament settings, which is three lives and with the extra setting at hard to win and game difficulty too. And again, I don't know if this is with or without cherries or what, 
And I don't know how this guy's name is pronounced, but it's listed as Bill Bastable, B-A-S-T-A-B-L-E, Bastable, I don't know. Sorry, Bill. Uh, but his score was a million six hundred and forty thousand one hundred and forty verified by the Twin Galaxies scoring and adjudication process on February twenty seventh, two thousand eighteen. So yeah, there we go. Man, how do you get those scores? And I'm just gonna jump right into it. My rating for Mister Do's Castle mm-hmm. is a disappointing three out of five. Really, a three out of five. Yeah, wow. I really want to like this game a lot more. I really want to like Mr. Do's Castle a lot more, but the thing is, the exponentiating difficulty just kills it for me. Because once you get to uh, scene three, things are just, whoa. They just get inordinately difficult. I actually made it to scene five once. You're doing better than I But man, does it get so freaking hard to the point where it's almost unplayable. No, obviously not for Barry Lewis and uh, Bill Bastable and uh, Luke Ojeda. I have a hard time getting into this game myself. I think the problem with me is that you have to play it a few times to figure out what's going on. And then it's the game seems really intimidating to me at first. And yeah, as, as I said, that eventually I figured out that the goal of the game is the same as Mr. Do. You either do all the cherries or smash all the cherries or sma- kill all of the, the enemies. But I, didn't ha- I did not know about the ROM revisions, for one. Uh, but the screen to me just seems cluttered and there's just way too much going on, I think for me. And I don't hate the game because I can get some fun out of it, but this is definitely not a game that I'll go back to very often. I mean, there are other games I'd like to play a lot more and I, I have to agree with your rating of a three. It's, I don't know. I just a really confusing game. One thing I will say is, uh, Doc, if you're listening, just put Mr. Do's castle out on the floor. I will play it. I will. And uh, you know what? Let's get Eugenio's opinion here. He says, I was introduced to Mr. Do's castle by one of my cousins who had had the chance to play the game at timeout for a couple of weeks before telling me about it. I knew the game had Mr. Do, so that meant that I had to try it out. This was very different from the original Mr. Do. By the way, Eugenio is using an exclamation point every time. He writes Mr. Do, except for Mr. Do's castle. Uh, See, it took me a few tries to learn the gameplay. Once I did, I kept going back for more, but I will admit I was never very good at it. Once the Atari 2600 port was released, I got it, and I really enjoyed playing it at home. I didn't have to keep on wasting my quarters to enjoy the game. The 2600 version has simplified graphics, but most of the gameplay is there, so it was more than good enough for me. Once I bought an Atari 5200... I decided to get the port for the system, and I was impressed because it is far closer to the arcade game in looks and difficulty. While I do prefer the original Mr. Do, I still give Mr. Do's Castle a play on both the 2600 and 5200 whenever I can. Yeah, I gotta spend some time myself with the 2600 version, and definitely more time with the Commodore 64 version. So yeah, thank you, Eugenio. And I've tried playing the 2600 version of this. If you think the arcade is confusing, holy crap. 2600 version, just, I don't like it. I have played the 8-bit version recently, I but, I, you know, it's made such an impression on me that even though I played it a few days ago, I don't remember much about it. Yeah. So, I think with that, we should probably talk about our next game. Yeah, what is our next game? Please do tell. Mr. Do's Wild Ride. Huzzah! Huzzah, Mr. Do's Wild Ride. And according to the game manual, there is no exclamation point after Do's. 
Huh. So, but that's it. The is there on the marquee though? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't really care to look. I don't know. Maybe I already maybe looked. Not. I already told you. Yeah, you did. Uh, I don't remember. But anyway, anyway. Um, yes, Mr. Dew's Wild Ride is copyright 1984 Universal. So there you go. And this game has a totally different goal than every single other Mr. Do game. Oh, yeah. And this one is to get to the goal, by the way, of the roller coaster tracks. Basically, you're climbing roller coaster tracks in a very unsafe manner to get to a goal at the end of them. Kind of like when uh, somebody, you know, uh, was waiting in line to go on Batman the ride at Six Flags down in Georgia. One of his friends took his hat off and tossed it into a restricted area. Then the kid went to get get his hat, and as he was out there, uh, something happened. Roller coaster car passed him, and his head got chopped off. This is just uh, four or five years ago. Hmm. So yes, that's a that's a nice little story for your uh, September 11th. Um, but yeah, yeah so this has been just, a very uplifting episode of Pie Factory Podcast. Oh yes, of course, and. Basically, you are dodging mostly uh, roller coaster cars, but there are other different things you have to avoid, like a swinging pirate ship, unicorns. Sometimes there are moving platforms and elevators and, like, bouncing balls or whatever. Uh, kind of like the, uh, what do they call them, the kinetic sculpture thing that you see, the executive toy thing. Where it's like the five balls. You take three, you swing them, and clack, clack, clack. You got a few of those going on, too, and that, but... Yes, you're just walking on these these roller coaster tracks to get to the end. You have a button, and the button speeds you up. Oh, yeah, you have a bonus timer. So you have a certain amount of time to get to the end of the track, and if you hit the speed-up button, it makes your bonus timer go down a lot faster. Speeds you up, but you have less time to get to the end now while you're going fast. Does that mean that you lose a life if the bonus timer runs out? Um, I already know the answer, but for our listeners. That I don't know. It does. Yeah, it does. In fact, it says it right here. The only way you can get around the roller coaster cars is to climb up ladders every so often. As I was saying, the only way to get to the next level is to get the goal. Now, there are cherries in this game, but the problem is that the cherries, uh, they just make the bonus items at the end of the uh, at the end of your path change, like from letters to spell out extra if you spell out E-X-T-R-A, which you actually can do in a minimum of three screens. You can uh, you get a free life. I didn't know there was a correlation there. Wow. Oh yeah, yeah. So you get the cherries. If you collect all the cherries, it doesn't end the level. Like I said, it just changes out. And what happens at the goal? You'll either get one of the letters, or you'll get a different item. Go over scoring here a little bit. Uh, if you climb up a ladder and one coaster car goes under you, it's hundred points. If two go under you, like if they're two next to each other, like you know, like a train. Uh, you'll get 300 points, and if three go underneath you, you get 500 points. I don't think there's a uh, roller coaster car chain more than three coasters that I've seen. Uh, the targets at the goal, the, the prizes when you get to the goal, first of all, if it's an ice cream sundae, it's 100 points. A lemonade, it's 200 points. An umbrella, it's 300 points. A sword, it's 400. A bag of money is 500. A trophy is 600. One of the letters in spelling extra is 500, and it's got the diamond in this game. If you pick up the diamond, you get hmm. 10,000 points and a free game. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, I got Is that, that in all revisions of uh, the game? Uh, as far as I can tell, it's definitely in the manual for the game. Oh, okay. So, uh, it can be turned on and off, though, in the dip switch settings. Uh, in fact, I you know what? I did not look at that. Let me look here. Um... Yeah, you can either, you can have it turned off or on in the dip switches. It, 
there's no like in between. So you can't, it's not like where you get the diamond and you just get massive bonus points and no free and no free game. You either have the diamond or you don't have the diamond. So that's it. The bonus timer starts at 4,500 points and it begins to decrease when the play starts. And, uh, you know, once you reach the end of the, of the track, you get, uh, get all those points added to your score. Mm-hmm. And that's all there is to the game. It's not a complicated game, in theory, in goal. <laughs> <laughs> this game has got some of the most cutesy graphics, I would say the most cutesy graphics out of the entire Mr. Do series. It is the only Mr. Do game in which you do not kill monsters or collect cherries or do have something to do with cherries to get to the next screen. All the others, Mr. Do's Castle, Mr. Do, and Do Run Run, you either grabbed all of the fruit to get to the next screen, or at least in Castle, you know, knocked them all out to get to the next screen, or destroyed all the monsters to get to the next screen. This totally different goal. Now, you said that the diamond was not in Mr. Do's Castle, correct? No, it is in Mr. Do's oh, Castle. Oh, it is. Okay, so that's in Remember all you the get the congratulations there. screen? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. So... <sighs> I mean, I mean, that's it. I mean, the game's cutesy. It's got some really good sound effects. I like the sound effect uh, that happens when uh, Mr. Do gets hit by something and you, Mr. Oh, Do bounces man. around the screen. And I love that sound effect. That's not the sound, but the actual action of seeing Mr. Do like fly all over the screen. That startles me. The whole death sequence, I think, is really neat. There's a mellower death sequence. I don't remember how to trigger that, though, off the top of my head. But unfortunately, that's all there is to the game. There's really not much depth to this game. It's... I mean, people. A lot of people complain about Jungle Hunt, saying, "Oh, it's all timing. You just got to time things together." Well, to a degree, that's true. But oh yeah, with this game, it is definitely all timing. You just wait for your moment. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. Okay, move. Wait. Wait. It's very much like the elevator scene in Donkey Kong in that regard. Yes, Yes. that's a that's a very apt description. Actually, (laughs) for more than one reason. Well, first of all, let's talk about there are six different screens of this game. The first one was just the straight roller coaster, but it's got a couple of the, like I was saying, like the executive toy things that are like bouncing back and forth. The second one's got a floating pirate ship that you got to run under. I cannot get past that. Again, I've got to work on my timing. Uh, the next screen has some elevators. The next one, it's, uh, how to explain it? It's, uh, well, it, it, it's, oh, that's a it's Newton's a, cradle, by the way. What's that? Yeah, the, uh, the executive toy, that's kind of like a Newton's cradle. That's Newton's cradle, yes, that's it. The fourth screen is a, uh, as a merry-go-round and you get like unicorns off the merry-go-round bouncing around. Uh, the fifth screen, it's just some, some columns and the sixth one, you've got these platforms that keep moving in a circle. And that is a pain in the ass. Even when I had all the cheats enabled, including invincibility, I could not get past that screen. I, I just could not do it. So well, you already uh, got much further than I got, but that was with the cheats on with the cheats off. I couldn't get past the pirate ship. Just regular playing. I could not get past that screen at hmm. all. The pirate ship always killed me and used up my last lives but i was saying as far as uh, as ports go there were no home ports of this game so to speak ocean software did make a port for the i think the zx spectrum and the c64 but they decided that since mr do was kind of not a really popular name in gaming anymore <laughs> that they replaced a lot of the elements with a gorilla that looks suspiciously like Donkey Kong. And what was it called, by the way? Kong Strikes Back. Kong Strikes Back. Yep. Yes. And uh, if you ever see, if 
I, I did not know about this actually until tonight, and I looked up a video of it online, and yeah, it's definitely Mr. Do's Wild Ride with Donkey Kong inserted into it. There's no way you can't get anything else from that video. But um, there's really not much more to say about this game. I mean, it's it's simple. Yeah. The, the graphics are amazing. The graphics are beautiful. This is a beautiful-looking nice. game, and it's a beautiful-sounding game, too, I would say. But the graphics it. look more advanced than they should be. For, for the kind of game it is, yes. Definitely. It looks kind of like late 80s, early 90s graphics, but it's from like 1984. They look like 16-bit graphics, and all the yeah. other Mr. Do games look like 8-bit graphics. Yep. And w- there is one other thing to say about, uh, at least one other thing to say about Mr. Do's Wild Ride. Huh. Where did the name come from? Well, there's a rumor that it was based on the Walt Disney World attraction, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Yeah, the name comes from that, but yeah, it's definitely not based on the actual ride. No, um, not at all. My my wife and I went on that in Disneyland a couple of years ago. And all right, I'm a big dork for saying this, but I really liked that ride a lot. There's, it's not a roller coaster or anything. It's just a dorky little ride. It's a way to get out a, of the heat. Yeah, and it's based on a really obscure Disney character. The Wind that, in the Willows, I believe. That, yeah, and it hasn't been seen. The, the character has not been seen in decades but it's still a fun little ride it's basically like you're you're being driven in a taxi that's supposed to be driven by somebody you can't see very well oh one thing i would like to add about this game well first of all it would be awesome if somebody hacked the graphics for this game into mr toad's wild ride just throwing that out there but um talking about the graphics i have to say that mr do does not look like mr do in any of the other mr do arcade games he looks way different than the other Mr. Do models I have I've noticed. Even Mario in all of the games looked pretty much the same in all of them. I think he looked a little different in Mario Brothers, but yeah. he generally looked similar. He looks Mr. Do looks way different in this one in my opinion. Actually, Mr. Do kind of looks like Mario. Mm, like a thin Mario in a like way. Like the uh but it, it almost looks like Mario's outfit. See, Mr. Do in the other games, he looks like he's wearing kind of like a stereotypical old-timey a jailbird outfit, but in Mr. Do's Wild Ride, it looks like he's wearing Mario's outfit. Maybe a little, I could see that. Not totally on board with that, but I'm not totally off board with it either, so there you go. But do we have any uh, scores for this game? No. Ah, good. I mean, yes. Ah, dang it. All right, since I started with uh, Orcade.com for the previous game, I'm going to start with Twin Galaxies for this game. Their scoreboard... Shows for factory settings, three lives, easy to win, extra, screen direction forward. I don't know what that's about. I didn't try uh, futzing with things. Uh, Game difficulty set to one. Massimo or Massimo, I don't know how to pronounce that name. Champis scored 130,524. And that was verified by referee on June 15th, 1984. And on Orcade.com... Which is also a uh, factory default settings track. George Irway scored 97,946, which was performed on June 4th, 2011, during the 13th annual Classics Championships at Fun Spot, which is one of only two locations listed on orcade.com as having Mr. Do's Wild Ride, the other being Moore's Family Fun Center in Oxford, Alabama. So, this is a super rare game. Forward means correct orientation, and if you flip the dip switch the other direction, it's upside down. Oh, okay. It's probably for, like, cocktail tables or something. 
I don't think so. I'm almost, I'm wondering if maybe it's uh, in case something happens to the monitor and everything, for some reason, gets displayed wrong. I don't know. I can't make heads or tails out of it. Hmm. But it don't make sense to me. It flips the screen, basically. That's all that is. Yeah, all right. So, Sean. Yes. What do you think of this game? Honestly, I'm going to have to rate it two out of five continues. I'm just wondering if part of it is that I'm just so disappointed that it's like the most un-Mr. Do of the Mr. Do games. Yeah, I agree with you. I I mean, did your research like give any kind of indication or implication at all that maybe this was not originally meant to be a Mr. Do game, but it was kind of hastily... Nothing that I can find. Hmm. Mr. Do's Wild Ride is to the Mr. Do series what Pac-Man is to the Pac-Man series. I, mean, I wouldn't even go that far because Pac-Man, you still have the same basic premise. You're being pursued by monster, well, ghost monsters in that game. Well, but the object is to get to the goal at the end of the levels on Pac-Land. Just like how the object is to clear the maze. Just Well, this one is the, the object of this one is to get to the goal Well, yeah, Mr. Do's Wild Ride. Thing is, there's nothing Mr. Do about Mr. Do's Wild Ride at all. I would say it's more Professor Pac-Man, except it doesn't suck as badly. Well... Okay, I'll give you that. But uh, yeah, no, I. It, it looks like ah, here we are. Okay, uh, just did a little research on the fly. Uh, during development, it was originally entitled "Go Go Coaster" and did not involve Mister Do. Aha! Uh, of course, the article says citation needed, but uh, uh, you know what? I'll take that. That sounds that sounds plausible to me. Honestly, this to me. I mean, it's oh. got a lot of little cutesy things in it. Uh, the graphics um, are just, adorable. By the way, I just Googled uh, Go Go Coaster, uh-huh. and I got the Arcade Flyer archive, and there is an Arcade Flyer with Go Go Coaster on it. So it looks like there actually was a Go Go Coaster made, and it does look exactly like Mr. Do's Wild Ride, but without the background. It's just a black background and the roller coaster. Uh-huh. And the character is wearing the same outfit. So, there we go. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, here we Yeah, the Video Game Flyer Archive, another site that I keep forgetting to check. Yeah, that's definitely the same game. In fact, I would argue that the, the character in that one looks more like Mario than Mr. Do does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And that first screen on the page I'm looking at here doesn't look like uh, any screen in the arcade game. Interesting. So, yeah, okay, so it was originally not a Mr. Do game. That explains a lot, but it was released as Mr. Do's Wild Ride, and as such, I have to give it a two. I don't think the game is that incredibly fun, despite the fact yeah. that the uh, the it's got great graphics, it's got really good visuals, it's got really good sound effects, but, I, I mean, I love that little sound of the roller coaster zooming. That's a nice little those sound are, Those are good sound effects, for sure. Yeah, but... And, okay, and I'll, I'll put it to you this way. Kind of like how I said that, say, Tinkle Pit, I think would have been more fitting as a home console game, like for the Genesis or the Sneeze. I'm thinking the same thing for Mr. Do's Wild Ride. It seems like it's more like on the lines of something Activision would have done for the 2600, 5200, or Intellivision. I would totally agree. Just with fancier graphics and sound, that's all. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely totally agree with you. This is... Not a really good game. In fact, I'm almost tempted to rate it a one, but the only thing keeping me from rating it a one is visually in in the audio visual department. It is pretty. It is a pretty nice looking and sounding game. So I I'm going to keep it at a two. Okay. I'm going to give it credit for that. But yeah, yeah just, I'm keeping mine at two as well. Yeah, it's 
Maybe I'll play it every now and then out of curiosity, but it's not something I go back to ever. Yeah. Really. Yeah. But it's difficult yeah, as Doc, hell. if you're listening and you have this hidden away somewhere, I'm probably going to play it once. Oh, and by the way, um, one thing about the uh, the home version, which was, what did I say that was? It was Kong Strikes Back. Yes. Uh, you don't have the speed up button. You're given four bombs per screen, kind of like the oh. Powerball in uh, Mr. Do. That and the inclusion of Kong are really about the only difference between that and the arcade. Okay, so I guess with that, are we all ready to uh, announce the theme? Yes, yes. Why don't you announce the theme? Doo-doo. Doo-doo, caca, poo-poo. And good old number two. So that's the theme, huh? Yeah, we were really out of ideas for themes for this episode. So we went with the juvenile one that makes Sean and I giggle a lot. So it makes I giggle a lot? Sean and I. Uh, All right. All right, next time we have, like, dinner together, I'm going to go over, like, objective case with you so you learn how to say, it makes Sean and me laugh. Because you wouldn't say it makes I laugh, it makes me laugh. Well, you know what, Sean? I don't give a doo-doo. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah, see? So, yeah, doo-doo, caca, poo-poo, good old number two. And to wipe this episode up... Uh, let, we should probably, uh, thank some yeah, people. Um, f- first of all, um, I think, uh, once again, I thank Sean Holly and I also thank Steve Steiner for, uh, donating to the extra life marathon on my behalf. Uh, I will be participating in that on, uh, November 3rd, I believe. Uh, I will put a link in the show notes again to that if you wish to donate, but, uh, Anyway, I also wish to thank other people who have donated. Uh, this episode has been underwritten by Butts Plumbing of Avon Lake, Ohio. And uh, we thank the following people who have uh, kindly donated money to our podcast. And uh, because of you, Jim now has uh, some has a, a nice microphone that should uh, help his sound out a little bit, make him uh, a little bit more happy mm-hmm. with his sound. So um, thank you to PJ Steele, Richard Grounds, Richard Valdez, Rory Coleman, Steve Steiner, Tim Foley, Underground Retrocade, Nate Lockhart, Art Guglielmo, Atari Bites, D. Alex, Greg Polander, Soul Blazer. And thank you also to Jonas Rulo, Keith Sheehan, and Kyle Etter. And uh, yes, thank did I say you Michael D'Angelo? Uh, well, if you didn't, you said it now. And of course, as always, we thank uh, Steve Tui mm-hmm. at tuiville.com, T-O-U-H-Y. V-I-L-L-E.com. Uh, that probably should be under our friends on the website. Uh, thank you, yeah. Steve, for including Pie Factory Podcast in your uh, schedule. And uh, yeah, so for episode 83, uh, we are going completely off topic to uh, acknowledge uh, National Suicide Prevention Month. And uh, so we will have some things to talk about. We're going to, uh, despite the rather bleak, like we said before, despite the rather bleak implications of that we're going to try to be as upbeat as we can you know just bring some awareness to everybody and uh see what we can do yeah it's um a cause that i feel really really i feel really really important because it's affected me uh in a lot of ways and um there's been a lot of times when you know i've needed help and um if we can offer help too i mean you know all the better but uh As I say, we're trying not to be depressing, but it's a topic about depression. But uh, maybe hopeful is a better word. Uh, Try to be hopeful on the topic. And uh, if we can do that and maybe make you smile a little bit, well, you know, that's all the better. Uh, However, for the episode after that, episode 84, we might as well let you know what we're going to talk about then. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, Episode 84, we're going to talk about Astro Blaster, Pilot Needed in Sector Wars, Play Astro Blaster, and Avalanche. A uh, couple of uh, older games, actually. 
Yes. And uh, that'll be interesting to talk about those. And we got an interesting topic or an interesting, interesting theme for that one. So we think. So we think, yeah. We haven't actually had an interesting topic for, or interesting theme for a while. Yeah. And I noticed they didn't fill the theme in for our Anteater and Eyes episode on the spreadsheet. Interesting. You control body parts. Ah, yes. Well, <laughs> speaking Specifically of which, facial it's getting body late parts. and I had a lot of drink tonight. Oh yeah, me too. Me too. So I got to go control some body parts, especially this neck problem I'm having that uh, hopefully the physical therapy will resolve eventually. Oh, so but you're hey. going to talk to my friend, Fizzy. Yep. Physiotherapy. Ooh. Yeah. Physiotherapy. Good grief. Mm-hmm. St. Patrick's yeah, He's good anyway. friends with my other friend, Patty. Patty anyway, coming to you from uh, Chicago. This is Sran. Uh, excuse me, Sean. <laughs> yeah, and this is uh, G Jim, G-, G Jimmy, or whatever it was you called me earlier. You know me, you, uh, and you, you know who I am, and we'll just leave it at that. You know my name, as is the look up the number. theme song from uh, I believe it was uh, Casino Royale uh, with uh, when Daniel Craig came into the Bond series. So there you go. I thought Herb Albert's Casino Royale was the theme to Casino Royale. The first Casino Royale film. Oh, the good one. That that would be the Daniel Craig one. No, the really good one. The one that's actually worth watching. Uh, the Daniel Craig one? Let's just end the damn episode. <laughs> we'll talk to you all later. Daily special. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on PieFactoryPodcast.com. Support the show at Patreon.com slash Pie Factory Podcast. Greg Polander, Soul Blazer. Oh, dude, is it me or in the, the SNES podcast... Has George, over the last few months, really stepped up his game in that podcast? He's, I really like what he's doing on that show. It seems like he's the old curmudgeon, even though he's a lot younger. I mean, and, it sounds like uh, he... You like, know, I keep wanting to do this. I, I keep wanting to do this every time, do the thank yous, uh, because uh, I do listen to the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast, and uh, Greg uh, Soul Blazer is a frequent contributor. Yes. He has his own theme. <clears throat> I've always wanted to do this, so since I got a new microphone, I might as well test it out. <clears throat> the sound, <clears throat> excuse me, the sound blazer. Yeah, you need a new bum, voice too. Bum, 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 but yeah, it just bum. seems like George. I mean, I mean, I never thought George was doing a bad job at all, but it seemed like before oh, no, he was just kind of hanging out in the background and saying, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." But it just seems like, like he's he had a, a lot curmudgeon. more to contribute lately, and I, I really, I, I really like applaud him for. Uh, He's, he's sounding great lately. I really do enjoy him. Oh, and when I say that George sounds like an old curmudgeon, that is not an insult because I sound like one too. Hmm. So, but, uh, I'm just yeah, anyway, uh, saying uh, that yeah, thank you, uh, Soul Blazer well. for, uh, oh, I, oh, I just thought of something. You'll get used to it. I'm going to, I, this is, and this is the God's honest truth. This is not a joke. This is not a bit. I'm going to meet Michael Nesmith tomorrow night. Oh? Yeah. And I'm going to send her that picture. My friend in Pennsylvania who does the calligraphy. Oh man, she, either she's going to be jealous or she's never going to want to talk to me again the rest of my life. Uh-huh. Well, maybe you could get, oh, talk Michael wait. Nesmith into doing a promo. Ooh. Oh, oh. Yeah. You know, Michael Nesmith, I don't know you, but, um, you know, and, and we have this, this, this cheap little podcast and, uh, you know, we, we don't, we don't have any money to pay you or anything. Will you record something for us? Yeah. Yeah, why not?
But I do see Dance Dance Revolution Extreme! France, France Revolution. Ow, ow, oh, sh Oh, I, I triggered some kind of pain when I did that. Ouch. Uh, do not excite the Sean. Yeah, of course. 